Good to be in the house of the Lord. Would you agree with me tonight? Amen. God is good. Amen. We're going to turn to our Bibles. First Peter. All right now. First Peter, uh, chapter one. We're going to be looking at a few verses of Scripture. First Peter, chapter one, starting from verse number thirteen. Um, I want to ponder a thought with you tonight, if you'll allow me, um, and just think about a few things. Tonight, as we open the Word of God, you know, I found an article of the CEO, the Chief Executive Officer of BP, uh, the garage, the fuel company, uh, international company. Um, and I don't know if you've seen it already or you've come across this, but uh, he uh, has been fired. He is, um, uh, his job is no more. Um, they have had to let him go. The CEO, they've had to let him go. Um, and, you know, we're not talking, you know, this is BP. And he is the chief executive officer of BP, the entire company. Yeah? So the salary he had to forego when he got fired uh, with the salary, the bonuses and, you know, the benefits and so on totaled up to 32.4 million. Uh, that's one year. <laughs> I mean, can you even spend that much in 12 months? I mean, I don't know how that, that works out, but 32.4 million. Uh, and some of you are kind of calculating what you would do with 32.4 million. Uh, but there, he, that was his salary. He had to say bye-bye to uh, because he got fired. And this was due to not declaring or not disclosing a, um, a relationship or a past relationship with a colleague. And you may think, well, what's, you know, what's the deal with that? What's the problem with that? There's nothing wrong with it. He had a relationship with someone. What's wrong with that? Well, to have a relationship with a colleague is not very, uh, you know, because, you know, you're the CEO. They work for you. There could be some all sorts of things going on there. So really what they fired him for was misconduct. Uh, we have a, a, a way of doing things. And the way that you're behaving isn't quite in line with your office. So you have to go. I don't know, you know, we don't know the details of what happened there, but they said it was misconduct. And really, when you look at that misconduct, there's many things that people have been fired for when it comes to misconduct. It's the way that they are behaving themselves. And all you've got to do, and I just did it just for jokes, just to have a look. All you've got to do is put that in. And there's all sorts of articles of people doing things that they should not have been doing. And they have lost their job. I saw there was a U.S. police officer who was fired because he was driving under the influence. Can you imagine? Here's someone that should be stopping other people for driving under the influence. And he himself was DUI. He was fired for misconduct. There was a teacher who was fired because she came to school drunk. Amen. She was trying to teach the class. She was drink. She put her vodka in her water bottle, said, look, it's only water I'm drinking. Turned out to be vodka. And she was drunk while trying to teach. The head teacher said, listen, you can't be trying to teach drunk. Misconduct. There's another one, Oxfam. I don't know, maybe you heard this. Oxfam employees in uh, the, the uh, DRC in Congo, they was there trying to support uh, the work there. And it turns out that the employees were getting in sorts of all sorts of uh, abuse and sexual relationships with the people they were trying to support. 
How many know when you're running a charity, you should not be doing that kind of nonsense? Well, actually, scratch that. You should not be kind of doing that nonsense anyway, right? So misconduct. And I say that because the world is, uh, you know, they, they, they look at misconduct and they hold it to kind of a high esteem. There's certain things you should not be doing as you hold this office, as you hold this position. But sometimes we come into the house of the Lord now. And we come in and people all of a sudden get all righteous and talking about, you can't judge me. I was speaking to people, I've heard people tell me, listen, only God can judge me. And I'm like, yes, and he will. People for some reason come in, they think that because I have a title, we're going to look at some things, I have a title of Christian that I am able to come and do things and they quote scripture like judge not lest ye be judged and all these type of things to try and allow for misconduct. So I want to preach today, it's probably not one of those famous, uh, um, one of those ones you're going to shout amen all the way, but listen, you've got to preach the whole gospel. I want to preach today the code of conduct. Can you say amen in this place? Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 13. The Bible says, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest, your, and rest uh, uh, your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. I want to look firstly with you tonight, as I kind of sidestep from the code of conduct, just follow me along as a sidestep, I want to look firstly at amazing grace. The Bible says, gird up your loins or gird up the loins of your mind. I love the imagery that is used, that, the, that Peter uses here. He's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. What he's talking about is back in those days, they used to wear uh, cloaks over their, over their underwear and so on. And it was kind of inhabit the way they would walk. But when they're ready to action, when they're ready to do something, maybe ready to run, they would gird up their clothes and, and tie it within themselves. So now they're free to run, free to action. He's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, be ready to act, be ready to move, be ready to do something. I like the imagery that that poses. He goes on then to say, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, grace is one of those $10,000 words. I love it. It means unmerited. It means undeserved, unearned favor. There's nothing that you can do. Listen, grace is giving you things that you do not deserve. How many know God has given us things that we do not deserve? It's only by His grace that we are here today. There is a song that we always sing. It's called Reckless Love. And people know the words of that song so powerful. But it says, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you gave yourself away. That right there is grace. Can you say amen in this place? That is grace in that we didn't deserve what God would do. But he gave us this 
free gift called grace. And it's explained a little bit more here in Ephesians 4, and uh, chapter, sorry, chapter 4, verse uh, number 2 here. It says, God who is rich in mercy because of his, because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we are dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, in verse number eight, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We need to dwell here a little bit in this sermon tonight. It is only by the grace of God that you have found salvation. Wasn't the works that you've done, wasn't the good things you've said, wasn't the good things that you've done, you've helped old ladies across the street, you've given to charity, that didn't cut it. It's not good enough. The good deeds are like filthy rags before God. It's only by the grace of God that you have been saved through faith. There is nothing else to add to get salvation. There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. It is only by grace that you are saved. In the book of Acts, we see that they were confused as the Gentiles started to get saved. The Jewish believers started to say, listen, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow Jewish laws and all sorts of things. And it was putting a yoke of burden upon them. And their response is in Acts 15 and verse number 11. It says, we believe that through grace, Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they are. It is the grace that brings salvation. If you are saved here tonight, it's because God has given you this gift. And what a gift it is to receive, the gift of salvation. And the nature of the gift is, it is free to the recipient. The very nature of it being a gift is that I didn't earn it, I didn't pay for anything. It is a free gift And some people talk about gifts saying, oh yeah, sign up for this life insurance. We'll give you a free gift. That's not a free gift. I've just signed my life away, literally. Sign this up, we'll give you this free gift. No, buy this, you buy one, get one free. Listen, no, that's not free. I've just paid for it. You just upped the price of the first time, first thing I bought. It is not a gift. But here, the gift of God is truly free. He came, even yet while we were still sinners, He came and died for us and gave us this free gift. The nature of a gift is free to the recipient, but also the nature of a gift is it costs the giver. If it's free to you, somebody has had to pay for it. Somebody somewhere, and it's when you get mature, you understand that. Listen, how many know as children, we just get things. We just receive all the time. My kids be receiving all day long. Don't pay no attention to who went out, go bought this. Uh, that means like, um, if I damage it, don't mean nothing. Somebody would just come bring me another one. It's, it's, it, it is, but as you get mature, you start to understand that if you get a gift, somebody somewhere has paid for that. Can you think of what it cost the giver to give us uh, this grace? It cost him everything. The grace of God is free. It's not what you do. It is free. It's not by works. doesn't matter what you do. You can't earn salvation. The grace of God is free. I love grace. Who loves grace? Isn't it amazing in this place? Come on now. However, everybody say however. You knew I was getting to this point, right? However, people can misunderstand grace. And they can take grace for granted. 
Because I want to show you through the Word of God that yes, it is by grace we are saved. You are saved by the grace of God. There's nothing you can do. However, God is concerned with your conduct. I'll say that again. God is concerned with how you conduct yourself. Call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. You have a title, Christian, on your car. Maybe you've got that fish symbol. Come on. Maybe you wear a crucifix to work. Come on. Maybe you have the Bible that you carry. Maybe you, you, you do all these things. That's great. But God is concerned with how you conduct yourself. How do you conduct your affairs? How do you conduct business? Come on. How do you conduct yourself in relationships? God is concerned with your conduct. Look at verse number 15 of our text. It says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That's black and white right there. You be holy in all your conduct. The reason I say that is because sometimes we feel that conduct is a secondary issue. I'm no longer under the law, I'm under grace. Therefore, I can do whatever I want to do because God's grace is sufficient. That doctrine has truth in it, but if you look through the surface, it is an incorrect doctrine. You cannot live how you want to live. Jesus said, if you love me, you would keep my commandments. That has to do with your conduct. If you love me, you say you would follow me, you would do what I tell you to do. And in this day and age, there's so many uh, 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 Christians or people that have that title uh, that have the grace, want to receive the grace, uh, but don't want to change their conduct. Uh, Listen, even in the normal, the natural world, you go to work, people are concerned with how you conduct yourself. How much more the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Listen, I can't do this while I'm at work, but in in the house of God, I can do do whatever I want to do. No, not so. In all your conduct, the Bible says, be holy. Listen to this in Philippians 1, 27. This is black and white right again. Verse number 27 says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to that. Let what you do, how you conduct yourself, how you go about yourself, how you speak, how you dress, how you walk, how you act, let it be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that whatever I come to see you I'm absent, or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul is telling these people, let how you live be worthy of Christ dying. Come on, the life that you're living, is it worthy of Christ's blood? Your conduct needs to be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this has to happen all over our lives. And we're going to look at a few places. Number one, in the house of God. Paul was talking to a young uh, uh, apprentice or a young pastor, Timothy, when he wrote 1 Timothy. And in 3 verse 15, it says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And it goes on, if you read Timothy, there's a whole few things on what to do, how to do it and so on. But he is saying there's a way that you should conduct yourself in the house of God. Now, I know that this is like a hospital 
We receive all types of people from all walks of life and they come in, listen, come as you are. We, pre- we preach that completely. Yeah? But there comes a time where you need to conduct yourself in a certain way in the house of the Lord. There comes a time where you need to mature in your conduct in the house of God. In other words, when you've been coming for a while, you've understood the grace of God. You've understood the salvation. How can you continue living a life that's contrary to His Word? How can you continue living a life when you know what the Word says about relationships? You know what the Word says about how you conduct friendships, how you go to certain places. How can you continue? you on in the house of God lifting up hands. Listen, we are to lift holy hands. Can you say amen in this place? It's not to be someone that is to continue on. Come as you are, but don't stay as you came. And the thing is, when you preach about conduct, that's when people start getting a little bit itchy. But I have to preach the whole gospel. That's my job. I preach the whole gospel and it is to do with conduct. There's people that treat the house of God as if it's like, listen, I do my job on Wednesdays or, or I do my job Monday to Saturday and Sunday I come, repent and I can go and live my life again when Monday rolls around. Not so. Your conduct must be something conducive of change in you. If there's a transformation in your life, your conduct will change also. Look at this, 1 Timothy 4. Again, Paul talking to this young uh, preacher. He says, let no one despise your youth, uh, but be an example to the believers in word and in conduct. In other words, people should look at your life. They look at how you conduct every area of your life and they should see a difference. You should be different. I know this is basic stuff, but listen, you've got sometimes the basic, we have, to, we have to get through the basic before we get to the deep stuff. Listen, sometimes people need to look at your life and there should be a difference between you and people in the world. The way you conduct affairs should be completely different to the way someone at work who's not saved conducts affairs. He says we should be examples in word, but also in conduct. Also how we are. We should have conduct or we should look at the conduct towards each other. Hebrews 13 verse number 5 says, let your conduct be without covetousness. There's some things that we need to do. Listen, God has already done all he he can do. He's done everything. He's given us grace. He's taken sin on his shoulder. He's done that. But now it's up to us to change our conduct, change how we behave, change what we do. Listen, it happens in every area of life. Listen to this. In marriage, sisters, listen to this one. 1 Peter 3, verse number 1. Wives, amen. Likewise, be submissive to your own husband, that even if some do not obey, even if you're married to some worthless guy, he don't believe in God. Listen, if some do not obey the word, they, uh, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. How is an unbelieving husband won to the Lord? By the nagging? No, not by the nagging. By the constant pressure? No, not by the constant pressure. By the sub, you know, the the the, the submission, the, the submission languages where you're just doing something, you say something, you're meaning something else. No, it says by the conduct of a wife. In other words, how you conduct yourself has the ability to change someone to look and say you 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 act differently. 
What is it about you? There's something about you that's changed. I need to investigate this. So by your conduct, somebody can be one to the Lord. Look at this, brothers, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honour to the wife. Honour to the wife. Again, how you act, how you speak. Come on now. How you speak to your wife, how you speak to your spouse, giving honour to the wife, living with understanding. This is all to do with conduct. And I'm saying this because people feel that because of this banner we have above us called grace, it gives me the freedom, the liberty to take liberties. <laughs> it gives me the freedom to act in any way, shape and form. No, it does not. Our conduct needs to come in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's certain things we should not be doing. Listen, there's certain things or certain words you should not be saying. Even if somebody's rubbed you up the wrong way, there's certain reactions we should not be reacting at your workplace and families. You shouldn't be blowing up as the world will blow up. Listen, somebody crossed you in your car. There should be fingers we should not be pointing up. Can you say amen in this place? There should be things that we should be doing inside church, but also outside of church. Our conduct needs to change. And this is close to my heart because I really do believe integrity should be bound up in the heart of a believer. Listen, you should not be calling to work sick if you're not sick. Can you say amen in this place? Come on, this is simple stuff. This is simple stuff. But many times we see people come ministering, even ministering for the Lord, but you just look through their life and you think you're conducting yourself as if somebody that doesn't know the light that's come into darkness. You're conducting yourself. Listen, I don't like the tax man either, but if you do self-assessments, they need to be correct. Come on. I believe that a Christian man or woman should be faithful in their workplace. They should be hardworking in their workplace. They should be reliable, trustworthy. This is all to do with conduct. They should be able to abstain from the fleshly desires. They should be able to conduct themselves in a way where people can look and say, okay, I understand there's something different about you. Grace has saved us. But in order to continue on in what Jesus Christ has done for us all, we must be holy in all our conduct. Sometimes we want the Holy Spirit to work and move powerfully in us. But he's not because he's grieved. He's grieved. Grieved by the way that we conduct ourselves. How, how is it that you can worship God with that mouth and then to your brother you can speak all sorts of profanity? Come on, how is it that you say, Lord, forgive me, but unable to forgive the person that hurt you? I'm not saying what they did was right. I'm not saying what they did doesn't still pain you. But just as God has forgiven us, we should now then forgive those who have hurt us. This is to do with conduct. Conduct is not a secondary thing. We need to look at our lives. How am I conducting myself? You know, in school, um, we used to have, uh, this was a long time ago, probably showing my age, uh, but we used to have these bands, WWJD. Who remembers those bands? Nobody? Okay, we see some of these. Okay, you're showing your age too, amen. 
WWJD, I was in a Christian kind of fellowship group in my school and we handed out these bands and it, was a, a, it stood for What Would Jesus Do? Um, and I put it specifically on my right hand. Uh, that was my fist throwing hand. So if I'm going to throw a fist, I'll see the band. I'm like, okay, you know what? Maybe let me pull that hand back. Uh, what would Jesus do? Again, it's, in other words, it's, it's to remind you that, you know, you should look at the way that you conduct yourselves in every area of life. Somebody robs you up the wrong way. Okay, what would Jesus do? Somebody rips you off. Okay, what would Jesus do? Somebody, uh, you know, they all, all sorts, put whatever it is, fill in the blank. Uh, we need to look at our conduct. So tonight, this is a calling for us to look uh, at all of our conduct. How do we conduct ourselves in all of life? And I want to look uh, lastly at the calling here. You see, because in verse number 15 of our text, it says, But he who called you is holy, and you also be holy in all your conduct, But it is because it's written, be holy for I am holy. You see, I'm saying we need to look at our conduct because there is a heavenly call on each one of us. God has called each and every one of us. There is a calling on your life. God has called us from before we was even born. He has called each and every one of us. We all have different destinies. We all have a, a different, uh, God has a different plan for each and every one of us. But there is a calling on each and every one of our lives. But as I think about calling, I, always, I also think about what Jesus said. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. But why is that? He calls many but he can only choose a few. Why? Because some people have not taken the time to look at how they conduct themselves. You are called by God. Act accordingly. You have a calling on your life by the King of Kings. Make sure that you arrange your conduct to fall in line with that calling because God can call you, but that doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be selected and chosen. All of us are called, but Jesus said there were few, few who were actually chosen. And I believe it's because people have not paid attention to how they conduct themselves. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. But you are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you, called you out of darkness into this marvellous light, who once were not a people, uh, but now are the people of God, uh, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And listen to this, listen to this plea. Verse number 11, Beloved, I beg you, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honourable among Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may be your good works which they observe. Glorify God in a day of visitation. Peter is saying that you are a chosen people. He's chosen you to be his own. But he says, I beg you in this time, let your conduct be honourable before the Gentiles. Let your conduct be honourable before your parents. Let your conduct be honourable before the friends 
friends who know you start going to the potter's house. Oh, you go to the potter's house, do you? Oh, how come you're still drinking and swearing with us, smoking weed and rolling up with us? How come we're still sleeping together? You go to the potter's house. Let your conduct be honourable before all that knows that because, listen, you are chosen, you are called, but in order to be chosen, you have to enter in to what God has called you. You are called, I need you to act accordingly. Many times, uh, this subject is not the ones you would put as a motivational speech, but this subject is what the world needs. This subject is what the church needs. Oh, to see people call into it. There are leaders who should be called into account. There are people who are ministering should be called into account. There's people doing all sorts. Look at your conduct. How do you conduct yourself with finances? Isn't there people that come, that, 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 that leaders in church, the finances come into church and the people are doing all sorts. How are you conducting yourselves when no one is watching? How are you conducting yourselves as if God in heaven can't see what you're doing, what you're a part of. Listen, this plea is to all of us, is to myself included. We are called, but we need to be holy in all of our conduct because he who called us is holy and we also are called to be holy. Holy means set apart, separate. There's things that, you know what, I don't do that. There's thing, you know, I, I don't get involved. That should be your testimony. You go to certain places. No, I'm not involved in that. I'm separate. I'm called by God. And as you do that, as you walk in conduct that falls in line with the Word of God, then you can be the ones, you can be the few that are chosen by God. Not only are you called, but now you are chosen. You are chosen to do what God has called you to do. You are chosen to reach the lost. You are chosen to bear fruit and the fruit that will remain. You are chosen as you look at your lives, conduct yourself as a son or daughter of God. God. You have been called. You have been adopted. You have been an heir to the throne. Conduct yourself accordingly. Think of this as we consider the last point of conduct. Picture this. You have a letter come through your door and it's all in a nice envelope. It has the royal seal, the royal emblem. You open up the letter and you have been invited. King Charles has invited you to Buckingham Palace for a dinner. First thing you would do is, like, how am I going to conduct myself as I step into the palace? And that's just a palace here on earth. How about the king of kings who is calling you right now? How are you going to conduct yourself? Because he has sent out an invite with your name on it. Think, how are you going to conduct yourself? There's things you're going to have to not be worried about, things you're not going to be uh, involved in to say, you know, I've got a date with the king. I'm going to dine with the king. Verse number 15 again, it says, he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Don't suffer or don't suffer the consequences of misconduct 
as you serve the living God. Listen, we understand. That's why we had to do the preface before with grace. We understand it's not our good works are going to get us to heaven. Listen, our ticket to heaven has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing we could have done to purchase that ticket. It was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is how we get to heaven. It's not good works. However, as a result of that, we now change and fall into line to be somebody deserving of the blood of Jesus Christ, somebody deserving of the call of Jesus Christ. Look at our conduct. How have you been conducting yourselves in this last week? How have you been conducting yourself just this afternoon? And as we go, let's take this word of God that we should be holy in all of our conduct. Everybody got the message? I don't understand. Amen. Let's give God praise in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes in this place.